You are now listening to Raise the W, recorded at the School of Communication inside the Hickey Audio Lab on the beautiful campus of Western Michigan University. Come aboard and hear the people, stories, and impact of Western Michigan University. Here's your host, Tim Tarantine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the W, the podcast where we celebrate Western Michigan University, its people, the places, and the things that make it amazing. We have another one of those elements in studio with me here today. I am so happy to have the executive director of flight operations for the College of Aviation, Russell Calvaluna. Russ is an outstanding member of one of our very proud colleges, the College of Aviation. It's a growing college. We continue to see enrollments go up. We continue to see uh, students engaged and excited about becoming professionals in the airline industry, and it's not just pilots. Uh, it's mechanics and it's air traffic control and all the different parts of the airline industry. Our College of Aviation does a great job. Captain Powell, who you all have heard on the podcast earlier, kind of explained the college at 30,000 feet. And I wanted today for us to talk to uh, one of those team members who's really making a difference so that you can understand the quality of the people that make that college go. Russ, I'm telling you, man, I'm excited to have you here. But before we get into the college, I want you to walk us through kind of how you got to Bronco land. So walk us through your kind of career journey because you've had a great career. It has been a journey. That's right. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate you having me on board. I grew up in a small town about 30 miles east of here. And I came here as an undergraduate student after my parents were both graduates. Uh, and I wanted to be an airline pilot, so I studied and became a flight instructor here at Western. And then in the early part of 2001, I got on with uh, U.S. Airways Express and was an airline pilot until we all suffered the national tragedy of 9-11. Mm. Uh, and I was laid off after that. Uh, I was still pretty proud of my time at Western Michigan University. I really enjoyed the process of learning. So I decided to go back and get more education. And I thought about an MBA or a master's in public administration, and I settled on taking law school classes. Not really sure whether I'd be successful at that, but interested in it, and I think my interest was piqued by that, in that, because I was a representative on our union at the airline, the Airline Pilots Association, and we had a couple of lawyers on staff hmm. who were powerful, interesting people, and I was intrigued by the, the knowledge that they had and the ability they had to affect change for, for their clients. Oh, that's awesome. So I applied to law school, got into law school, and the airline then called me back. So I had a little bit of a decision to make, whether to stick with the airline or to go on to law school. And I, I, I hedged, as any person not trying to grow up does, yeah. um, like I was in my early 20s. And uh, I went to law school on the weekends at Cooley and Lansing, and then I would fly the line, as they say, or fly for the airline during the week. Now, where were you flying mostly during that time? I was based in Dayton, Ohio, and for a short time in Philadelphia. Uh, but my routes went in and out of what is now no longer an airline. It's been merged. But U.S. Airways had a hub system that had hubs in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Charlotte, New York City, and Washington, D.C. So I went in and out of those hubs every day. And then as far south as the Caribbean, as far north as Canada, and as far west as the Great Plains. So for a pilot, what, is, <laughs> what does it mean to have a home base? You're, you're all over the place. So can you live in any one of those areas, or you have to live in Dayton because that's the hub? Like, how does that, most of us don't know the behind the scene, right? So I'm trying, uh, let's go inside the cockpit door. Yeah. What well, does that mean for pilots when you have a home hub versus? That's an, apt, that's an apt question, Tim, because inside the cockpit door is really what directs the answer to your question. 
you're on the road more than anything. So your base really is just where your trips start and end. Many pilots don't live in their base. In fact, they live a long ways away from their base, and they will ride as a passenger into their base. From wherever they are. From wherever they are. So uh, when I was based in Dayton, one of my colleagues lived in San Francisco, and when a pilot starts his or her trip, it's usually a three- or four- or five-day trip. So those trips would start in Dayton, and then you wouldn't be back in Dayton for four or five days. Really? Uh, you'd be at outstations and continually flying the line. Of course, with duty regulations, you wouldn't be flying all that time. But when you would get back to Dayton at the end of your trip, why then you could fly as a what they call a non-revenue passenger on the airline back to wherever you were. And most, most people who did that lifestyle had a three to four days off. So... It was a unique lifestyle from what you and I live in, going home every night. Sure. Um, and the base is merely where your trips start. Now, some people live in their base, but most don't. Are the pilot shirts as uncomfortable as they look? Yes. In fact, worse. <laughs> 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 Particularly the long-sleeved ones, and I don't think they win any awards. They don't. It's a tight space, it, and they don't look comfortable. <laughs> they aren't. In fact, there's a market out there if you ever wanted to get in. Because that's, pilots are pretty good at letting you know what they don't like. Yeah. Um, and we would talk about that a lot. Hat's not very comfortable either. Yeah, it looks like it's not a good sweatband. Looks a little goofy, too. But uh, <laughs> trust me, if it's warm in the back of that airplane, yeah, all four of those windows up front are making it a lot hotter for the guys and gals up front. And those shirts that we were wearing never helped. Wow. Yeah, wow. I love, I'm fascinated by those industries and positions where we, we all kind of know they're there and we've met them, but we don't know what their life is like, right, behind the scenes. Now, you're active now in the College of Aviation, helping our students understand that reality and prep for it, particularly those who are flying. But can you kind of talk about your role at the college and, and maybe some of the transfers from industry to the college, you know, where you might see those intersections and how you prepare students? Sure. My role is to oversee the entire department that has anything to do with when one of our airplanes moves. Mm. So that includes all of the staff that train future pilots. That includes all the staff that maintain those airplanes, the mechanics. That includes the staff that help those airplanes become dispatched and, and tracked and the facilities that we use to support those airplanes. Yeah. And frankly, I interact with a lot of flight instructors who want to become airline pilots and students who want to become airline pilots. And what I like to try to tell them is we operate this college of aviation like an airline. We, uh, other than the overnights that we just talked about, because our students come back at night, but other than that, we have a flight operations manual. We have our duty requirements for them that it, and a training regime that's nearly the same as the airlines that I went through. And that's because right. we're trying to train, and I think we're, we're quite successful at training future airline pilots and other professional pilots, uh, military, corporate, things like that. We had uh, Tony Dennis in for a podcast earlier, and he had done some real intentional work in the, you know, in the former life with the College of Aviation, and he was, we were heralding the College of Aviation as a great place to recruit students, partnerships with HBCUs, schools, and other parts of the country. How are we doing in terms of recruitment uh, versus the need, right? So there's big demand for pilots, big demand for mechanics, big demand for everything airline. But how are we doing in terms of recruiting a diverse pool of folks to get into the industry and get folks in and out? How Are we still leading in that way? 
Yeah, we're leading. Our minority percentage, I believe, is in the 13 to 12 percent range. Yeah. Which is ironic for me to say we're leading because the industry, I think, is probably south of 7%. So we're leading as it relates to industry, but it's not enough, particularly because there are institutions for which we could engage, like HBCUs, not just to bring them here as undergraduate students, which I would be happy to have, but also as employees. We have a shortage of flight instructors, and Mm -hmm. those flight instructors are taking the first step, I should say the last step, before they become airline pilots, and it's a really good place to learn and move up to the airlines. And our associate dean, Dr. Ray Thompson, has been engaging HBCUs with the Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals to try to craft a bridge between our institution and those historically black colleges and universities. Because I think we can get to, I think we should be able to get that percentage up. Because it is clear that this is a path to a lucrative career and an enjoyable career. Yeah. Where people who are interested in technical education, science, and math. And frankly, we know that that crosses gender and racial lines. Why are we below the standard population set for any of those minorities? And 13% as an aggregate is below that. Why you talked about the lucrative career. With your background in law, flight, your talent is high. Why higher ed? Well, I have a passion for the mission that we do here. Yeah. I suspect that's probably why you came back also. We actually are crafting the future one human at a time. Yeah, I've had other careers where I felt like I was doing important work and making a difference, but none to the degree that I feel here. Mm-hmm. If I do my job well, if I can make a mark on a young person as they're progressing and developing into a professional and adult from a previous life that was unprofessional and unadult, yeah. then you know I can feel proud about the day's work I've done. And that's a pretty important job. If three years from now, one of my students manages an emergency and saves your grandmother or your staff's sister because of an engine flame out, I think I've done well. And that's kind of the Super Bowl. But if I just if I just help somebody become a better professional in interaction with customers or, or become a leader in an airline, I, I really feel like that's a, a worthy endeavor, probably more than practicing law, more than flying airplanes themselves. I think that's what we all want is really to be able to go to work and feel like we've made a difference. No question. Captain Powell, when he was on the podcast, he talked about the expansion that you all are working on that, um, is, is here. It's, it's, it's moving forward. Um, what is the biggest opportunity outside of that growth in physical capacity? What's the biggest opportunity for the College of Aviation? We are in a unique circumstance in the entire higher ed landscape, at least in my opinion, in that we have an industry that is in high demand for our graduates. Yeah. Are, which has led to an increase in enrollment, which you've alluded to. And it's a problem, frankly, to meet the demand. And that is the biggest thing on our horizon is to how to deal with the good problem. That is, the demand yeah. is higher than the product for which you can put out. We call those caviar problems. Yes. yes this is a rich man problem. Yeah. And I like that problem, but it is a challenge to be able to deliver the level of quality that we have to the increased number of people who want the product. Wow. It's a great problem to have. We're, we're working to, to meet it. You are, and, and it, we can see it. We can, it's tangible. It's palpable. You all are, are working to meet and stay with that demand. Final question, how can Bronco Nation help? How can we support you and this college and the work you and Captain Powell are doing? Well, I think there's a couple things. One is the airline industry took a beating over the last 10 years, and I've heard it from parents and potential students that 
the airline career, whether it's in the cockpit or working on the airplanes or in any event, that it, it, it was not a destination career. That's not true anymore. Hmm. Wages are skyrocketing. When I started as an airline pilot, I made $20,000 my first year, and it was that way until four years ago. It's now $60,000, and the demand for pilots is so high that we can't meet it as collegiate aviation programs. What, what that tells you is that, that the, the wages are going to go up. The work-life balance is going to increase in quality. So to the extent you wonder, hey, what, what's the airline career like now? It actually is on, for return on investment on educational dollars. It's clear that it's better than if you send your child to become a teacher, become a lawyer, or become a doctor. If you look at return on investment for educational dollars, there's no dispute. So mm. that's one thing that, to spread the word that aviation is a viable path to an economically stable career. And then the other thing you can do is look us up and come out and visit us. It is fun to come out. You have a, a great experience. And we, we're, we're 22 miles to the east of main campus, and we're proud of what we have there, and we're building there, as you mentioned. One of the most important things, as you know, is visibility. And if you come out and see what we're doing there, I think you'll be excited about it. If you are connected to raising the W, we raise the W in Battle Creek, and we'd like to show you that. Yeah. Wow. And, even, and flight simulators, too. I mean, you can, you can actually play. Yeah, we, we've had presidents of this university come there. We've had governors of the state come, come yeah. there, and they all like the simulator. And, and I actually want to get up in the real thing, but we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Well, <laughs> I, I'd be happy to have you aboard. Awesome. Well, we are aboard with College of Aviation and all the work you're doing, Russ. You're a, you're a great leader. You're another one of those folks that campus respects. And so thank you for doing your work in a way that helps build our students. Thank you for partnering, you and Captain Powell, to make College of Aviation one of our flagship programs uh, here on the university campus. If you want to learn more about Russ Cavaluna and Captain Powell and the work of the College of Aviation, go to mywmu.com backslash raise the W, and you can find out more there about how to support, engage, and be involved with the College of Aviation. I want to give a special shout-out today uh, this podcast, although new to the university, still stays true to the mission. We are a student-produced, I'll repeat, a student-produced podcast. And I'm very proud of that because the students who work with us are outstanding. Autre Murray and Emily Fisher are our executive producers. They are the bomb.com. And if you ever hear their names in the future, remember they started here with the old boy on Raise the W. Thank you all for being on today. If you're in the grocery store, hanging out with your kids in the park, soccer, football, hey, you can play badminton if you want to, but wherever you are, tell people about your university, Western Michigan University. And if you do, you'll help us all to raise the W.